As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. This episode contains discussion of child murder, racism, and police misconduct. Listener discretion is advised. On a rainy October afternoon in the small town of Potsdam, New York, a young woman called 911 to tell them that she heard some odd noises coming from the apartment across from hers. The noises sounded like a child in danger. When an officer finally arrived, he heard footsteps inside and the sound of the door's lock clicking when he knocked. When he finally gained access, the officer found 12-year-old Garrett Phillips pulseless. He began CPR and Garrett was transported quickly to the hospital, but he ultimately died. The only evidence left behind was a bent window screen and a few fingerprints. Investigators immediately focused their attention on the victim's mother's ex-boyfriend, Nick Hillary, and he became an outcast despite no physical evidence of his involvement. Were police targeting him because of his race and pushing another prime suspect aside because he was another police officer? Or was the investigator's tunnel vision being exaggerated and Nick Hillary really was responsible for the savage murder of the little boy? Okay, you guys, welcome to Killer Queens. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Um, if you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. Um, you can use that handy-dandy skip-ahead feature here if you want to. You don't even have to listen if you don't want. Uh, yeah. Do whatever you want to do. Exactly. And here's a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day. And we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. So we're not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. And using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case we cover. Will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? 
Heck no. Uh Uh-uh. Probably not. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences and opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if this is the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you prefer to hear it. We can all be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes totally ad-free and access bonus episodes too. And I'm just going to give you like a little, um, like, what's the what's the word? Um, oh, insider tip. I'm going to give you a little insider tip here. If you're an ad skipper, okay, and we know we know some of you are, but you still want the deals that we get from our sponsors every week, you can just scroll down to the show notes wherever you're listening to this, and you can see all the coupons that we have for that week from our sponsors. So, uh, life hack. You didn't hear it from us, okay? (laughs) So all that being said, let's get into the story. All right. So we do want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Cheyenne Orr for requesting the case and Madison, who also wrote this one up. Hey Girl, thanks. This is one that like, I mean, y'all went down a rabbit hole. Mm Mm-hmm. Like fully invested, fully invested. Like we, ha- this is one case that I feel like you and I have talked about. Probably we've talked about the most off, like recording. Yes, we've been texting each other about it, and we'll be like, add another thing, like out of nowhere, just be like, <laughs> and what about this, and what about that, or like we'll read exactly. something or hear something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Garrett John Phillips was born on August thirteenth, nineteen ninety nine, to Robbie Phillips and Tandy Cyrus in Potsdam, New York. Also, guys, I'm getting over a cold, so I'm just really sorry I sound this way. And also, guys, I just want to point out the fact that her name is Tandy, and all I can think of is Last Man on Earth. Last Man on Earth. Yes. I'm sorry. It's just I've never heard "Ah, the name Tandy before that. I haven't either. Okay, so at the age of two, Garrett's father passed away from a brain aneurysm. And in 2001, Tandy began dating a man named Casey Collins, and she gave birth to a second son, Aaron Collins. So Casey stepped up to help with Garrett since his biological father had passed away. And he said, quote, I raised Garrett as my son, just as Aaron. And they seemed very close. Like from all accounts, they were very close. It was very much a father-son relationship. I mean, it's really all Garrett knew and remembered. Mm Mm-hmm. Garrett was close to his paternal grandparents, Robert and Patricia, and especially close to his uncle Brian. And these are the Phillips, so his biological. Brian said that he tried to be a constant male figure in his nephew's life. Both Garrett and Aaron spent a lot of time with Brian. Garrett was a sixth grader at A.A. Kingston Middle School in Potsdam. Potsdam is an interesting name. It really is. I'm just going to say that, I guess. It kind of doesn't roll off the tongue as easy as I thought it would. It doesn't. And it's like a beautiful place. It just doesn't sound beautiful. <laughs> like, it's just a, it's a juxt, it's a juxtaposition, <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like hot damn, but it's not. Exactly. Hot, hot damn. damn. <laughs> That's the only way you can say that. <laughs> 
So Garrett was a typical 12-year-old boy. He loved being outside. He loved playing with his friends. He was super athletic. He played football, soccer, hockey, basketball, and lacrosse. Goodness. Is there a sport he did not play, right? I know. Like... Super active kid. And where did he play it? He played it in Potsdam. <laughs> exactly. He also loved riding his four-wheeler and going hunting and fishing when he had the opportunity. His mother said that he was always going 110% and full of energy. I can relate. My boys are, they don't stop. In my mind, I was thinking you were talking about yourself. And I was like, what? <laughs> Absolutely not, no. You are not always full of energy. And you... Definitely don't give anything 110%. No, no. I'll tell you what I do give 110% is naps. Ooh. So there you go. It's good to have a specific set of skills. See? Mm -hmm. Don't tell me I don't do 110%. In 2006, Tandy and Casey Collins ended their relationship. And Casey said that despite no longer being with his mother, Garrett still called him dad. Tandy at this point was working two jobs to support her boys. So she was a bank manager during the day. And she was a bartender at night at a local bar called Half Tons Bar and Grill. Wow. Okay, so then in 2007, Tandy started dating a local sheriff's deputy named John Jones. And at the time, they seemed like the perfect match. However, in 2010, Tandy met a young man while bartending. Oral Nick Hillary was born in Jamaica, coming to the United States in his teenage years. He served in the U.S. Army, and he was a soccer star. He went to St. Lawrence University in Canton, New York, not far from Potsdam. He (laughs) was on the soccer team for all four years, and he led his team to their first national championship. Big deal. Big damn deal. And I'm going to be honest with you, when I first heard, because I watched, oh my gosh, I watched so many things on this case, but Mm -hmm. the first time I heard St. Lawrence, I heard Sarah Lawrence. Me too! That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, that's where she went and... 10 things I hate about you or she wanted to. Yeah. Well, she ended up going. Yes, definitely. She did, okay. Yeah. She got in. That's right. Yeah, I was like, did they go to the same school? And then I was like, oh wait, St. Lawrence, yeah. Yeah. So he had several other friends on the team who were also from Jamaica and they were well known for their incredible soccer skills. After graduating, Nick took a job as the men's head varsity soccer coach at Clarkson University, which was in Potsdam. There are, what what was it, four universities that are, like, literally right around here. Mm-hmm. There's, like, lots of universities. That's basically. crazy for what a small town. I know. That's what I was thinking. Like, we've got one, I mean, we've got a a big college here, and then, you know, there's a few, Little like— community colleges and things yeah, like that. Yeah, but they're still, like, hours away, some of well, them. Well, yeah. I'm thinking, like, Cookville, like, the technical college, and— yeah. What is that one called? TT. Tennessee Technical Technological University. Yeah. Tennessee Tech. Yes. That's it. Yep. <laughs> yes. I mean, exactly. that's so hard. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, this Belmont, is Belmont. There's Vanderbilt. There's... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it's like... And the, the, we live in a very large city. Nashville is huge. It's like... Potsdam is teensy-tinesy. Mm-hmm. And there's no four... bigger than your mother's Jack Russell. Nope. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So at the time, Nick lived with his girlfriend, Stacia, and the couple's three children. Tandy and Nick bonded pretty quickly. Um, Nick would come into the bar after work with other coaches, and he and Tandy would talk about soccer. Um, She actually used to play, and she loved discussing it with Nick. And at the time, Tandy is still living with and dating John Jones. Apparently, rumors started circulating around town. And John Jones and Tandy started having problems. And again, this is a teeny tiny town. It's like everybody knows everybody. The rumor mill, Mm -hmm. no shortage of rumors. Mm. (laughs) Like they are always going. Gossiping. Yeah. So John ends up asking Tandy directly, like, look, are you dating Nick? And she's like, no, we're not dating. Then Jones said that he happened to be at the right place at the right time. Early in the morning. I don't buy that for a second. I don't either. I think he 100% followed her. But it was very early in the morning, and he said that Tandy and Nick were in the car together. And that's very suspicious, because, like, where the fuck you been? Yeah, it's not like you're meeting up for a 6 a.m. coffee. Yeah, and, like, she's living with John. He's living with the mother of his children. Yeah. What y'all doing in the car together right now? So... As one would do, the logical and mature thing to do would be to uh, go over to Nick's apartment after you see them together and confront him about it. Mm. And he said that he asked Nick to, quote, man up and tell him if he and Tandy were dating. And Nick was like, dude, we're not dating. And he's like, but look, you need to talk to Tandy directly. So Jones texted Tandy. They ultimately broke up. Jones then says he, quote, runs into Nick's girlfriend that he's living with, the mother of his children, and was like, oh, what do you think about the whole Nick and Tandy situation? And she's like, I again? What? <laughs> yeah, I don't, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, well, you know, they're like basically together. And she's like, squeeze me. So she ended up uh, breaking up with Nick as well. Um, she had absolutely no idea about this. And 
this situation kind of ended with several encounters with law enforcement. Stacia ended up being arrested for cutting up Nick's clothes and throwing them onto the lawn. Is that illegal? I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I guess destruction of personal property or something, but I just watched Waiting to Exhale. I mean, I just feel like he had that coming. Yeah. I mean, when you are actively in a relationship with somebody, living together, raising children together. Children together, yes. And then you find out from Joe Schmo on the street, old JJ, Mm -hmm. John Jones, and he's like, hey, um, how do you feel? about your current boyfriend being with my ex-girlfriend. It's mm-hmm. like, what the f- <laughs> Yeah. Like, sorry, if you wanted to keep all your clothes in one piece, then maybe don't cheat on me. Uh, right. And also, I I mean, whatever, but I feel like John could have been a little bit more delicate than being like, hey, how do you feel about this? It's like, I don't know. It's like going on Jerry Springer, and they're like, so how do you feel yeah. about— I don't know. He's not a real delicate guy, it seems like. No. And I mean, I like, she absolutely had the right to know, but... 100%. But what do you think he was doing going there like that? Like, I don't exactly, know. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Now, somebody keyed Nick's car. It was never determined who did it. Um. I mean, he obviously thinks it was either her or John Jones, and it probably was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um. But they just didn't ever figure out who it was. So despite the rocky start, Tandy and Nick started officially dating in late 2010. Eventually, Nick and his teenage daughter, Shauna Kay, moved into Tandy's two-bedroom apartment. So we've got Nick, Tandy, who are obviously sharing a bedroom, but this is a two-bedroom apartment. Then we've got Garrett and Aaron, and now we've got Shauna Kay. Like, I don't know where she was sleeping, but it's five people in this little apartment. Right. In January of 2011, the couple found a four-bedroom house and moved in with the kids. Unfortunately, though Tandy and Nick's relationship was thriving, Nick's relationship with Tandy's boys was not going nearly as well. So Tandy and Nick had very different styles of parenting, with Nick being much more strict. And Garrett, in particular, did not like Nick. Garrett's stepfather recalled that Garrett asked him multiple times if he could come live with him. And Garrett was in fifth grade at the time, and his teacher, who described him as, quote, funny and the class clown but very respectful, said that he mentioned to her a few times that he didn't like his mom's boyfriend either. While Garrett was popular at school, he did struggle with his studies. And Nick had worked before as an elementary school math teacher, And he said that he wanted to help Tandy with coming up with a, quote, structured study regimen. So one of the things that was just like how it was if you lived in Nick's house was there was no TV during the week at all for any of the kids. That is so, that is harsh. Living in a time, because this is Mm 2011-ish, right? Even when we were kids, we a lo- all of our weeknights were spent around the TV. I can understand if you, you know, back in the olden days, like it wasn't such a fixture, but now the TV is a fixture. And for a 12 year old boy, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I and he, you know, he's super involved in sports and stuff like that. It's not like all he's ever doing is sitting around watching TV, but right, you know, Tandy was like, look, like me, exactly. He's not you, God, <laughs> like yeah. Tandy was like, they were used to being able to, once they finished their homework, they could watch some TV. 
And, like, that's not what is wrong with that. Yeah, like, and again, he's involved in so many sports that you got to think, like, like, my two boys each right now are involved in just one sport. It's, they have practices different days and whatever. So that's a three nights a week plus game days on Saturdays for us. But, and I, I don't know sports schedules. I don't know what is in the spring and what's in the summer and what's in the fall. I guess I'll learn that. Or like if any of them overlap or whatever. Right. But he's at least, he's, I don't know what it's like in fifth and sixth grade, but I mean, Ben's in first grade and he has football practice two nights a week. So he's at least going to practice a couple nights a week. You got to mm-hmm. think like he's not, that's not the only, he's not just sitting around watching TV, you know? Well, and when you're little, school is your job. Mm-hmm. That's seven hours a day. Yep. Then you get home, you got to do your homework. Mm-hmm. And then whatever time practices, if you're in a sport at that time, can't you have a like an hour to right. unwind? 30 minutes or something? Yeah, exactly. Everybody needs to unwind. Exactly. So, I mean, this was just something that really, really... It really shrunk Nick's hat. It did. Yeah. And understandably so. And he's just like, if I get all my homework done, why can I not watch a little TV? And Tandy agreed, but it was like, it's from all accounts, Nick said no. And it feels like, well, Nick said no, so it's no. Well, and here's another thing too. Another aspect. I've never been, I don't have children, but I've never been in a relationship, obviously, because I'd have to have kids to understand this dynamic. But from what I've heard from other people's personal accounts and also like a case like this. Nobody really likes, I don't think, it doesn't go over well oftentimes when you are meshing families and one parent is like, you're not parenting well and here's how we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, when when one person comes in and just changes everything that you're used to, like, you know, there. I'm sure that there are situations where it's like, oh, okay, well, I haven't been doing it that way, but, you know, okay, I can this see how better. that's better. yeah. But it's just like flipping it upside down completely and no room for any like wiggle room, you know? Right. And like, I mean, this is Garrett and Aaron's house too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, again, he's a kid. Yeah. He's a kid. Like Garrett's stepfather also said that Nick, quote, had problems with Garrett's grades and Garrett's lack of respect for him. Well. Now. Nick says that's not true, but we'll get into it. Eventually, this began to have a significant strain on Tandy and Nick's relationship. And in a statement, she described how difficult things got. Quote, Nick would sit me down almost on a weekly basis, and he would tell me everything that was wrong with my kids and my parenting. He was a very structured person, and he would tell me about how I have to have a plan for this and that, and everything had to be planned out. I'm not like that. So that caused more stress in the house and in our relationship. Now... Again, I can't I can't stress it enough. And this is directed at Nick. Just because you do something a certain way doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. Right. And and you do have to take people's personalities into account. Like at this point, he's trying to make her into somebody that she's not. Like she said, I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's just different. It's different people. Like, can you can you compromise and come up with like a happy medium? I'm sure you could, but you, there has to be some flexibility there. I mean, to be the same as her, like throwing a fit or whatever, you know, uh, putting her foot down and being like, no, we're not planning anything anymore. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. You've got to two people in a relationship means you each need to be able to have some say in how things go. Like 100%. there should be some compromise. And it just did not seem that that's the way that it was. Right. Um, according to definitely Tandy and other people around them. Right. Now, Nick has a completely different story. He sure does. Also, Tandy had found out that some kids at school had been making some nasty comments to Garrett about her dating a black man. Um, this is a, I don't even know if predominantly white area sums it up well enough. I don't think so. It's, I mean, Nick and his kids were some of the only black people in Potsdam. So it's a very, very white community. Obviously, this kind of talk is not okay. No. You know, the kids are getting it from somewhere. But it did put a strain on Garrett at school, you know, because he's a kid. And people are, you know, people will make fun of you for so many different things. This is a fucked up thing to make fun of somebody for. But it is something that just made things harder on him at school, too. You know? Yeah. And kids unfortunately prey on things that are different and they use that to make fun of other children and not that at all that it I mean it's awful to do to somebody like you should never make fun of somebody for well really anything but for this I mean come on but this was very different in Potsdam so yeah for sure this is what they latched on to unfortunately yeah so You know, all these things kind of come to a head and it's just not getting any better. And so finally, Tandy is like, "Okay, we we're going to move out. You know, we're going to we're going to get our own place. So she, Garrett and Aaron moved into an apartment and apparently her ex-boyfriend, John Jones, helped her find it. And this apartment was, I guess, closer to John than their other house was. And. In an interview, he said that's not why he helped her get that particular apartment. He just said his first priority was always the kids. But also, if you look at a map of Potsdam, everything is right next to everything. I mean, it's very, very small. Mm-hmm. So like everybody had it carpeted. That's yeah, how small it like is, yeah. if you look at the you know map of like because we're gonna get into where things are and the school relation to the their apartment in relation to you know all these like other homes. Everybody lives within, like, a couple blocks of each other. Mm -hmm. It's just teeny. So, at this point, Nick and Tandy are trying to work on their relationship. They're living separately. And in July of 2011, Tandy ultimately decided, like, I can't do this anymore. It's just not working. We're going to break up. So, she said that while Nick was out of town for work, she sat down and talked to her boys about the relationship. And then she ended up sending a few texts to Nick explaining She said, quote, I have been waiting for almost a year for the feeling and situation between you and my kids to get better, and it's not. This is not easy for me either, but I have to put my kids first. And then in a separate text, she says, yes, it is about the boys. Please do put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. Just, just do. So she told Nick she needed some space and that she needed him to stay away from her. But in the first week of September... Tandy heard the door to her bedroom open while she's in her apartment. And who's standing there but Nick? And she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I'm just going to sleep. And she's like, okay. Because he had a spare key to the apartment. She asked him to return it. And he needed to go home. Like, hey, you cannot just walk into my house. 
No, you don't live. He never lived in that apartment. But he you, never you don't lived live here. in that apartment. And she gave him a spare key because they were still together at the time that she moved in. But you know what? Now we're not together. So you don't need to just use that key willy nilly. Like, and just decide that this is where you're going to sleep tonight. Like, that is so bizarre. It's inappropriate. It's disrespectful. And not only was he, did he like show up and just walk into her apartment, which creepy, creepy, and also, you know, could possibly come into play. But like, he was going around to her like family and friends and being like, you need to talk some sense into Tandy, basically, like telling them to change her mind Mm. because he didn't agree with her decision and he didn't think she was making the right decision. And it just feels very disrespectful to me because it's like, if you really love her and she needs space, the best thing that you can do and the best chance that you would have to possibly get back together would be to honor that wish. And you're not doing that. You're forcing yourself back in the situation over and over and going to her friends and family and trying to tell them to talk sense into her, like, it just, it's disrespectful. It's un- incredibly disrespectful, but it's also, I mean, there's an element of control there, yes. obviously, right? Yes. Like, he cannot handle Mm-mm. the decision that she has made. That affects him, but she, he can't handle it, and so he's not resting until he can get his way. Mm-hmm. And now this is this is also something that Nick is going to deny and his close friends are like oh he wasn't that broken up about the breakup but these things to me Trying tell to say, a different story yeah well and another thing that Nick has not been truthful about when asked who broke up with who oh he just goes we separated yeah we made the decision to separate well who made the decision to separate well yeah and when when confronted, you know, like, well, people are saying that that Tandy broke up with you. That she She's the one who, no, we separated. Like, he won't elaborate. He just says we separated. We separated. Yeah. And <sighs> and we've got clearly here, we have copies of these text messages where she says, mm-hmm. this isn't working. And he is writing back to her being like, I just don't understand. I'm just really confused. I don't, like, this just doesn't make sense to me or whatever. And she's like, you know, sorry. And, you know, is this about the boys? Yes, this is about the boys. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't, that conversation back and forth doesn't say that that was a mutual decision. You're, you're saying, I don't understand where this is coming from. So it feels like not your decision, sir. Right. So Tandy, Aaron, and Garrett stayed at this new apartment. So this is at 100 Market Street. And This is a group of indoor apartments that from the outside looks like a large house. And I believe there were four units in it. And that will just kind of be important as we go forward. Potsdam itself was, like we've said, a very small town with a population of just over 15,000. Residents described it as homey, simple, with a small town feel. Um... Like we said, there were four uh, surrounding colleges in Potsdam and nearby Canton. So what that does is during the school year, obviously there's going to be an increase of population because school is in, people are coming into the colleges. But it's still a very tight-knit, small community all the way around. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind. 
mm-hmm. where we answered this question and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash misskb, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. Hey, you guys, um, it's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. On Monday, October 24th, 2011, a young woman named Marissa Vogel was in her apartment in Potsdam just starting to eat dinner. So Marissa and her fiance, Sean, were eating in their bedroom. They were watching Dexter. (laughs) And they both heard running and a loud crash from across the hallway. Marissa then heard what sounded like a child's voice moaning for help or saying no. And she said that the voice sounded scared. So Marissa leaves her apartment and walks across the hall to apartment 4D. And 4D shares walls with her apartment, but she and Sean didn't know the family very well. They knew that it was a mom and two young boys. And the, I mean, they often heard voices and skateboards on the floor and things like that. You know, just the daily goings on of uh, mom and two boys. So, yeah, and they hadn't lived there all that long either. No. So, yeah. Marissa started knocking on the door and she listened and she heard a noise coming from inside and then she heard the distinct click of the door being locked. At 5.07 p.m., Marissa called the Potsdam police to report the concerning noises, and she told the call taker that the noises she heard specifically, that they sounded like they were coming from a kid. And a police officer was dispatched. At 5.14 p.m., Officer Wentworth from the Potsdam Police Department arrived on the scene. That feels like really quick for... I feel like a lot of times a call like this, they'd be like, all right, we'll send somebody out you know, like, we'll send somebody out after they're done with everything else because this isn't life-threatening. Like, you know, but I mean, they sent somebody right out, which is, I thought was interesting. Yeah. Officer Whitworth is listening at the door of the apartment and he didn't hear anything. Then he knocked and then he heard what sounded like footsteps. 
At 5.21 p.m., Officer Wentworth obtained the phone number of the building supervisor, who was Rick Dumas. Oh, let's all go. (laughs) I, in my head, this whole case, have just been calling him Rick Dumas so that uh, that did not happen to me. (laughs) Because I knew it would happen. It's Dumas, 100%. Dumas Walker. And Dumas Walker is now in my head, yes. So... Dumas Walker told police that he'd be there soon with the key to open the apartment. At 524, Officer Wentworth knocked on the door with his patrol stick, and he yelled for anybody inside to open up. He heard footsteps again, but the door remained closed. Dumas Walker arrived shortly after 530 and opened the door for Officer Wentworth. At 534, Wentworth radioed dispatch and said that he needed paramedics on the scene. Inside the apartment, the officer found an unresponsive male, approximately, they said 10 years old. Mm -hmm. He's 12, but they say 10. Yeah. He told dispatch that the child wasn't breathing and didn't have a pulse. And someone said over the radio that the child's mother was Tandy Cyrus, and they weren't sure what the child's name was. So Wentworth began performing CPR until the paramedics arrived. By 5.52 p.m., the paramedics were about a minute away from Canton Potsdam Hospital, and they had Garrett in the back of their ambulance. The police dispatcher called Potsdam police um, police chief Ed Tischler to update him, and she told him that it was Tandy Cyrus's son and reminded him that Tandy was John Jones's ex-girlfriend. At 6.08 p.m., Tandy called John Jones and asked him to go to the hospital and that she was on her way. And they, they kind of are, because they don't know Tandy's phone number, you know, when they right. get into the apartment. So they're trying to find a way to contact her. And the dispatcher is like, wait a second, isn't that, because again, everybody knows everybody, isn't that John Jones's ex-girlfriend? Maybe he has her phone number. Right. So that's kind of how John Jones is getting looped in immediately. Right. Because they're trying to contact Tandy. So it would appear that somebody contacted John and that John then told Tandy that something was going on. Or he... Gave them Tandy's number so they could tell him? Yes. Or tell okay. her, excuse me? Yeah. Because dispatch had gotten in touch with Tandy and told her that her son had been in an accident and was being rushed to the hospital. And Tandy is thinking, okay, awful, right? But they probably he probably fell or yeah. broke a bone, something like that. He Yeah, he likes skateboarding. He likes playing sports. Like, he's, yeah, fallen and injured himself. Exactly. My God. She had no idea of how bad this actually was. But when she arrived, she found her 12-year-old son, Garrett, in cardiac arrest. She said that he had bruises on his face and marks on his neck. And police staff were able to get pulses back on Garrett, but the doctors told Tandy that it was unlikely that he'd survive. Patricia, Garrett's grandmother, stood in the hospital room with him as he was hooked up to a ventilator. And Patricia Patricia, Patricia said that she kissed Garrett's forehead, took his hand, and said, quote, come on, bud, for grandma. At that point, Garrett went into cardiac arrest, and doctors weren't able to revive him. Hmm. At 7.18 p.m., 12-year-old Garrett Phillips was pronounced dead, and his cause of death was asphyxia from suffocation and strangulation. All right. So during Garrett's autopsy, the medical examiner noted that he had significant rug burns on his knees. He had scratches on his face, a black eye, and cauliflower ear. Um, Cauliflower ear is a deformity to the ear as a result of trauma. So... I used to watch a lot of UFC, which is like, doesn't feel like me, but yeah, it's not on it feels like you, a but... lifetime away now, but I used to watch it all the time. And a lot of the UFC fighters would have cauliflower ear. 
And it's common in wrestling, too. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's from getting hit in the ear or being, like, rolled yeah. around on the floor. and you Exactly. Know. It's like that pressure of being, like, your ear being pushed up against something, like, you know, ground moves. Fists. I don't remember what they are. Like, yeah, but your your ear is being pushed against it, and so your body rushes fluid to the area to try to heal it. And if it's not taken care of right away, it just hardens and stays the that cartilage way. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then your ear just looks fucked up. And they call it cauliflower ear because it kind of looks like a cauliflower. It sure does. Yeah. It really does. So that goes with this, what Marissa is talking about. It sounded like somebody hits the floor and there's a struggle. And if Garrett is being suffocated or strangled, somebody has got their hands on them or something else and is pushing him against probably the floor. Mm-hmm. And this is putting pressure on his ear. The scratches on his face appeared to be consistent with the injuries one might get from fingernails, which could have been from his murderer or from Garrett his, himself during the struggle, you know, maybe trying to pull somebody's hands off of him or something. DNA evidence was collected from underneath his fingernails. And the entire town of Potsdam was kind of all collectively like, what the fuck just happened? This is a 12-year-old child who has been murdered, and nobody had any idea why. Police began their investigation by speaking to neighbors and looking through Tandy's apartment for any clue as to what had happened. The second-story apartment that Garrett lived in had only one door, which meant there was only one way in or out. Now, the door had obviously been locked from the inside. Police said um, when they got in there, the apartment was relatively clean. It appeared that Garrett had come home, taken his shoes off and set them by the closet, and set his ripstick against the wall. So a ripstick, just so you know, I had never heard of it before, is a two-wheeled board, kind of similar to a skateboard, but it moves a little differently. It's like the front part and the back part, you have to almost move them like... um, one foot goes up, one foot goes down to get it to go. And it almost looks like a surfing hmm. type of move where you kind of have to like drift in and out to yeah. get it to move. I had a friend who their son had one and they look hard as hell to ride. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like really impressive. And he rode it like all the way from school to hunt. Like he rode it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. He could control where he went with it. Like I don't, I can't wrap my head around that. No. Like, it is none of my business where my body goes if I'm on something like that. It's just going to happen. <laughs> well, I know exactly where my body's going to go, and it's going to go right on the ground. Exactly. Ask and I say, happy birthday to the ground. Yeah. Exactly. Um, his sweatshirt was laying on the floor in the hallway. The blinds in the third bedroom were pushed outwards, and the screen of the window had a corner that was bent outwards, large enough for a person to fit through. And this window was about 20 feet or so from the ground. There was a brick storage building attached to the main building that stood about six feet off the ground just underneath their apartment window. There was a large crack in the tile on the roof of the storage area. And then on the muddy grass area below the window, there was a skid mark that appeared to probably be from a shoe. Another neighbor came back to the apartment building later that evening. Uh, They saw the police in the crime scene tape. And realized, obviously, something must have happened. So she told police that around 5 p.m. that evening, she and her boyfriend had been outside of the apartment building and they were changing a tire. So he was under the car working on it and she was standing, um, texting a friend. So I get moral support. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's none of my business how to change a tire. (laughs) 
And while they were out there, she said that they heard several noises from the building, specifically from the window in question. And they both looked up. They didn't see anything out of the ordinary. And she believed that they were outside with a complete view. I mean, they were literally where they were in the parking lot is a clear. It's all you can see is this particular window, basically. Right. So they were standing down there with this full view of this window from 4.50 to 5.20 p.m. based on texts that she was sending during the time. So this gives a very tight timeline for when this mystery person could have jumped out the window. And they literally happened to walk inside. They're done with what they're doing at 5.20. And then the person leaves probably 5.21. I mean, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. like he could have been caught red-handed. Right. But we don't, and I say he because I just feel like it's probably a man, but like, you know, it's just crazy how things lined up. And also just thinking like, Officer Wentworth was there during this time, mm-hmm. but he obviously didn't have anybody else with him. And if he did, they nobody was everything. standing outside. Like, or And he never moved from that door to go around the back and look at the window or anything, you know? Right. And like, if he had, or if he'd had somebody else with him that was sitting in the car, wait, you know, like, could we have seen this person? When Officer Wentworth first notified dispatch that he was performing CPR on a child, Lieutenant Mark Murray was notified shortly after. So he had been at the high school helping coach his younger brother's soccer game. At the high school! hmm Which, like, is a huge piece of this puzzle, or, like, it's just, and he, it just blows my mind how, like, so connected everybody is. I know. <sighs> it's just crazy. So Murray leaves immediately and he heads to the scene. And the day following the murder at 7.32 a.m., Murray received a phone call from Dan Manor, an investigator for the DA. And Manor offered his help and asked if they had any suspects. This is really interesting. All of these calls are recorded, every single one of them. I'm not sure if that's just like their protocol. Perfect. Like, yeah. you know, calls even between each other are always recorded, but... I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, we have these recorded, so it's interesting. So he asks, do you guys have any suspects? And he's like, "Um, yeah, actually, we do have somebody that we're pretty interested in. And this is Tandy's ex-boyfriend, Nick Hillary. So you might be wondering how police already had a strong suspect in less than 24 hours after Garrett's murder. And here's how it happened. So... Initially, there were rumors that Garrett had been playing a game called Knockout with his friends and his death had been an accident. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Knockout is also known as the choking game, and it's a game where people intentionally choke themselves or or others to get a brief high. And the goal is to usually, well, the goal is, I'm guessing, to stop before a full loss of consciousness. But if Garrett had died accidentally during the game, the other kids would, you know, probably have been scared. They probably could have jumped out of the window and ran. But do you think Marissa Bogle and her fiancé, I'm forgetting his name now, Sean. Sean. They did not hear multiple people. They didn't, they didn't hear, hear multiple, multiple kids' voices. Kids. No, right. and I would think if they were playing, mm-hmm. there would be a ruckus because everybody— it, if it's intended to be like a fun game, even though it sounds dangerous as hell, uh huh, there'd be giggling, yes, laughing, laughing, yes. And, and then I, if something happens and they're like, "Oh fuck," he's not waking up. There would be some t- 
talking. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe this. Yeah. What's happening? What's happening? Is he okay? And then you'd hear multiple kids running out the window. Jump, like, I don't think they would have been able to be silent, go lock the door to make sure nobody could walk in. And listen to this, though. What about the crack in the tile roof and the shoe print? Wouldn't there be more than one shoe print if there were multiple kids jumping out of the window? Right. I just don't see multiple 12-year-old kids getting out of the situation completely silent, like, oh, using their eyes to talk to each other, like, oh, shit, I think he's dead. We better get out of here. Like, right. Right. I just don't see that happening. Right. I don't either. Another immediate theory, which is very bizarre to me, is that it was an accidental death as a result of autoerotic asphyxiation. (sighs) And this was brought on by the fact that one of Tandy's bras was found lying on the floor. And her bra was on the floor in her bedroom. Yeah, there's literally no evidence Mm -mm. that supports any any of that theory other than just a bra was found in the apartment. Yeah, I don't know... I I don't, I don't want to know much about like twelve year old boys and what they do, uh, yeah. In situations like this, I just don't feel like you'd go get your mom's bra, no, and do stuff with it. Like that seems weird. And also, like, could Tandy's bra being on the floor be important? Sure. If she's a person who never took a bra off and threw it on the floor and always cleaned up, you know that. Like, then yeah, maybe that's something. But it could also be absolutely fucking nothing because I cannot tell you how many times I am changing for bed and take my bra off and just fucking leave it on the floor until the next day. I don't... I've done it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I mean, not I don't, uncommon. Well, and why does it automatically go to autoerotic asphyxiation? Like, how many cases have we covered where we're like, they were strangled with um, the cord from sweatpants. Mm-hmm. They were strangled with a bra, nylon stockings. Like, yeah. And he's got scratches on his face, a black eye. He didn't get that shit to himself. It's not no. liar, liar. Exactly. Yeah, this is not autoerotic asphyxiation. No. It's a, get that shit out of here. Like, look, come up with a, an actual theory and then we'll talk. Yeah. So in that same conversation that Lieutenant Murray had with the DA investigator, Maynard, the morning following Garrett's death, Murray told him about the rumors. And he'd said that they'd conducted several interviews the night before to squash those rumors. But um, this is a quote from Murray. It says, you know, there there was a theory that the kids were in there horsing around, fucking around, and then they freaked out and left. Manor asked if the child's mother had a boyfriend. And he said that his, gran- his granddaughter heard a rumor that Tandy's boyfriend had murdered Garrett. And Murray agreed that he had also heard that rumor circulating. Maynard said, quote, At the time, I just dismissed it, thinking, I doubt anything like that happened. I don't know where that's coming from, if it's coming from the Phillips side of the family. And that's that. But Murray told him that it was coming from the family, and that's what they were looking at. So one thing that I thought about, um, because this is a case that's really um, divisive, I think, can be. Uh, for a lot of different reasons, but I mean, there are some people who completely stand by Nick Hillary and there's some people who completely don't, you know? So yeah. it's polarizing, isn't it? It is. Like, um, and one of the things like everybody in Garrett's family immediately, because this is a 12-year-old boy, okay? This is not a, a drug kingpin in this town. Right. This is not um, the chief of police. 
this is not somebody who's made a lot of enemies. He's fucking 12. Right. Okay. So what is a question that police are always going to ask somebody, you know, friends and family of somebody who's been murdered? Who would have wanted to kill this person? Did he have any enemies? No, he didn't have any enemies. He's fucking 12. Maybe there was a kid that made fun of him at school, but likelihood is no, he didn't have any actual enemies that were like mortal and wanted to kill him. But you have everybody in his family saying, if he got murdered, which we cannot fucking believe he's been murdered, but if he has been murdered and this wasn't an accidental death and we know it wasn't, Nick Hillary did it. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely situations where family members will feel very strongly about something and, you know, there is no evidence to support it or um, or they're just incorrect. And it's later found that it is incorrect. But we also, in like missing persons cases, when we talk about somebody calling the police and saying, my child is missing and then being like, eh, well, they'll come around or give it a few days or blah, blah, blah. And... The general consensus in the true crime world is when a parent who knows their child tells the police that my child is missing and there's something wrong, they would not have missed this event. They would not have left without, you know, calling. They wouldn't have, le- you know, all these things. We say you you should believe them. You should look into it. Mm-hmm. So why is the situation any different? Right. I mean, you know, true. I mean, look and, into it. I don't I don't want to just arrest somebody because the family thinks so. Well, no, of course not. But like we've said with other cases, it's not just that. <laughs> it's not just that Mm-mm. he has been known to and we're going to get into it. We're going to get mm-hmm. into a lot more of this, but he has been known to just show up uninvited to the this exact apartment. Yep. Not only uninvited, but unwelcome. Unwelcome. Absolutely. Yeah. He. It's a known fact because there are receipts that Tandy broke up with him because of her children not getting along with him. Yeah. So when when you ask the question, who has a motive or who might who might have a beef with Garrett? Nick's name is going to come up. Mm-hmm. This is very very recent. We're talking weeks within everything being completely finalized and her asking for him to give the key back. Yeah. This is very recent. Mhm. And him going around to everybody being like talks and sins into her. I yeah. mean, come on. So two hours after Garrett's death, Murray paid a visit to Nick Hillary. And in later depositions, Murray said that he was going to Nick's home only to inform him of Garrett's death. And this might seem suspicious. Like Nick's friend, who we'll talk about more later, says that this doesn't happen. But if you're beginning from the inner circle and working your way out, and everyone is a suspect at this point, it's ideal to get the reaction of anyone you believe could be involved to see if they seem to already know the person is deceased, right? To see if they're like not reacting. And reactions are a whole nother thing, right? Yeah. But they can be telling. You can't go based on just reactions, mm-hmm. but they can be telling. Mm-hmm. So, but, and it's also a chance for you to look at the person, get eyes on them. This is hours after the murder yeah. and say, does he have cuts and scrapes on him? Yeah. That he can't explain right now? That does he can't tell me limping? where he got them? Yeah. Right. Is he limping? Does he have injuries? Does he have blood on his shoe sure. that he didn't realize was there? I mean, how many times have we seen that? And like, it's just, I mean, we see police do this in many cases. They let someone know that the victim didn't survive. Maybe it's like a situation where somebody's been brought to the hospital and then they bring somebody into an interview room and say, hey, just so you know, this person didn't survive and they want to get their reaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do it in this type of environment. So 
That's not that crazy. No, Nick's lawyers are going to go on to be like, Nick had no connection to the family anymore. There's absolutely no reason that he should be, quote, notified of a death. And that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is getting eyes on him and seeing all of these things. And they can do that if they want to. I mean, they're going to, if there's, and especially with Garrett's family saying, he could, he's the only person I could think of that would hurt him. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're going to go talk to him. Well, and listen to this, too. Get into this. So, sure, you can argue that Nick had no involvement or no connection to the family because that's what the family wanted. But guess who didn't want that? And guess who did not um, abide by those boundaries? Nick. Yeah. Yeah. He still had a connection. Tell me that he didn't have a connection to the family. Right. When he's trying to bulldog his way back in. Like, I don't think so. Mm hmm. So when Murray told Nick that Garrett had died, he seemed upset according to police notes from the visit. And with Nick at his apartment um, was also Ian Fairley. And this is Nick's assistant coach, soccer coach at Clarkson. And Fairley agreed with police that Nick was genuinely upset. After the police left, Nick began trying to reach Tandy or someone in the family to find out what happened, but he couldn't. Afterwards, he called his friend Manny Tafari. And Tafari had known Nick since high school and they played soccer together in college. But Tafari is also Nick's attorney. So, Mm -hmm. again, let's put a pin in that. Nick told Tafari that police had just left, that they'd told him Garrett was dead, and Tafari was immediately suspicious as to why police notified Nick, like we said, who he claims has no connection to the family. Mm -hmm. So the following day, Tandy was brought in for her first interview at 8.30 a.m., John Jones came to the interview with her, and he was actually allowed to stay in the room during the interview. All right. This is so—why would you do that? Yeah. Like, I understand that she is very upset, but you cannot have somebody else who has influence over somebody in the room while you're questioning them about a murder. You just can't. And not only that, he is a fellow police officer. Which is exactly why they're letting him in there. They're letting him like, oh, this isn't protocol, but like, you're one of us. So, you know, the rules don't apply to you kind of thing. Right. And I'm not saying that they're interrogating her. They're just interviewing her. But what would that have looked like if she didn't have a connection to John Jones and he wasn't there? Well, exactly. Like, if you have the foresight to see ahead, when you get to a trial situation— This is something that a defense team can pick apart. Mm -hmm. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Why would you let somebody skirt around the way you would normally do an investigation? Because now we're looking at possible incompetence or recklessness. Misconduct. Yes. Don't. Yeah. Yeah, they shot themselves in the foot big time with that one. So. He sat beside Tandy, he held her hand, and later Murray said that if he had to do it over again, he would have done it differently, like not let Jones in, but that it definitely didn't affect the investigation. Okay. That is exactly, we conducted uh, <laughs> we conducted an investigation on ourselves and we found that we did nothing wrong. Yeah. We found that yeah. everything uh, was fine and it wouldn't have changed anything anyway. Yeah. And we're sure of that. We're peachy fucking keen, okay? Yeah. Like, uh, so Jones actually stayed with Tandy the night before, and he'd even called his current girlfriend to let her know that he'd be he'd be with Tandy. I I gotta say, weird. yeah, initially, okay, because he's he's not with Tandy anymore. No. And they had a very tumultuous breakup. Uh yeah. And when this first happened, I immediately thought of 
Liz Gallier. And I was like, I wonder if mm. John Jones murdered Garrett to get Tandy right back, you know. Yeah, she to get needs closer. comfort and yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Because what happens, he is at the police station with her. They're holding hands. If I was John Jones' girlfriend, I'd be fucking pissed. He spent the night with her before. Yeah. I mean, if that was the plan, I'm not saying it is. If that was, it worked like a fucking charm. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, and that seems totally like fucking ridiculous, right? Yeah. But look at Liz Gallier and all the shit that she put poor uh, Dave Krupa through or whatever just to get Uh, him to run back to her, you know? So it's possible. I mean, it's effective. Yeah, absolutely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So this is when police officially told Tandy that they were investigating her son's death as a homicide. And they asked Tandy about Garrett's movements before his death, trying to establish a timeline. After Garrett was dismissed from school, he stopped at the Potsdam High School to play basketball in the gym with some of his friends. At 4.30, Tandy called him and told him that he needed to get get his ass home and do his homework. He did not leave immediately, <laughs> which <laughs> tracks. Yep. Total 12 He was like, I'm going. Yep. He left. <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. 22 minutes later. Um, so at 5 or 4.52, excuse me, p.m., surveillance video footage from the high school showed Garrett riding down the sidewalk near the park or near the parking lot on his ripstick. Less than a minute later, another surveillance video caught Garrett riding past the hospital. Less than an hour later, he would be on his way back to that same hospital. Unfortunately, it's so sad. At 5.07 p.m., Marissa Vogel called 911 to report the strange noises in apartment. Ooh, Ooh. noises. Noises in apartment D, 4D. That's a number. gosh. At five. And then a letter. (laughs) It's confusing because it's both. I get it. And it is in D. Yes, it's it's confusing. It's different things, and I can't... Anyway, so we don't know Garrett's exact route home, but it was only about two and a half blocks from the high school to his apartment. So from here on, we know what investigators found and what neighbors heard and saw. Investigators believe that the murderer had left through the window at five or after 5.20 p.m., based on the interviews with the neighbors. 
During Tandy's interview, she played a voicemail for investigators that Nick had left her the previous night where he told her to call him if she needed anything. And John Jones later said that he trusted the men investigating and he had no doubt in his mind that Nick killed Garrett. Murray said that on the 25th, he saw Nick, who was coaching the soccer game, and that he displayed a significant limp. He said that it appeared sometimes that Nick was walking fine, and other times he looked like he was favoring one of his legs, but he was trying to hide it. Later, video footage from the game showed Nick walking normally with his players. He's even moving faster than the athletes. The video that I saw, it did not look like there was Mm -mm. a limp or an injury. Mm -mm. I didn't see the entire game, though. You see a snippet of him walking. Yeah, and this is in um, the—I guess we didn't mention there's an HBO two-part— Called what happened to Who Garrett, killed Phillips. Garrett Phillips? Get it Who right. killed Garrett Phillips? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking of like. So oh in gosh, that we up. see a little bit of this video that I guess Mark Murray took on his phone, maybe. Yes. So in in that particular part of the video, you don't. I I don't see a limp like you said. That doesn't mean it's not there, but yeah. you don't see it because. Right. And I read on some forums that this could have been due to like the frame rate of the video being played back. Because like if you take a video on your phone and then you like text it or send it to somebody, it can compress the video. And so it may not have been essentially the best quality video. It didn't look like the best quality video from what I saw. (laughs) And we'll, we'll talk about this after Nick is photographed. But if Nick did have no limp, the investigators had to have ESP or something to know which leg that he did, in fact, have a concealed injury on. Because they weren't wrong about that. But... Yeah, put a pin in that. We're going to put a pin in that. So on October 26th, was just two days after Garrett was found dead, investigators came to Nick's apartment and asked him if he could come down to the station. They said that they needed his help going over a roster for Garrett's class. Now, Nick taught fifth grade math at one time, right? But I don't really, I was not understanding why they would need, like if maybe they just wanted his input on like, what do you think about this kid? What do you think about this kid? I don't know. Yeah. Have you heard this kid's name? Was he close with Garrett? Is this somebody we should question? Maybe something like that. Yeah. Right. So Nick said, not a problem. And he came to the station sometime after that point. So he called his friend Tafari and told him that they'd ask him to come in and that he was headed down there. When Nick arrived at the police station, he went into Murray's office along with Snell. Um, and the like Nick seemed open. He told the officers that Garrett was a part of his story. Yeah, and, that and I think I um I forgot to mention Gary Snell. He was an investigator from the New York State Police. So he was assisting in the investigation. So it's Mark Murray and Gary Snell and Nick Hillary in this interview. Slash interrogation, I guess. Yeah, I was going to... Um, I'm trying not to give away the farm here by my thoughts on this. Um, I want to talk about my thoughts on this. Yeah. If we want to call it an interview. I... I do Mm-mm. not like the way that Murray and Snell handled... No, they not did one part not... Of this. I don't like it. Okay, and we're not investigators, but like, again, if you want this shit to stick, do it the right way. Exactly. So let's talk about (laughs) the wrong way, which is the way that they did it. So the interview started just before 8.30 a.m. One of the first things that Snell said was, quote, why don't you just advise him of his information, his rights, and all that? And Nick was like, uh, excuse me. Um, 
Yeah. Are you guys going to read me my Miranda rights? And they're like, okay. Maria's like, no, no, no. You're not under arrest. You're not under arrest. Um, I can read you your rights if you want, but you're not under arrest. So, yeah. And he's like, you know all these. Like, you know all these. And, uh, you know, and I don't know. I mean, okay. So say they bring him in for an interview and they don't read him his rights initially. Then anything that he says during this interview cannot be admissible in court. Exactly. So... I thought you were supposed to read them. Like, ideally, you're going to read them their rights immediately. I thought, like, I thought that's how you were supposed to do it so that whatever information you glean can be admissible in court. But if you read somebody their rights right off the bat, they think that they're going to be arrested. Exactly. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, and and you guys, we have to remember Nick Hillary is a black man. Mm-hmm. Okay. In an all-white town, almost. He does not trust the police. Understandably so. Yes, that is probably because of experiences that he or people that he knows have had in the past. So, exactly. Understandably so. He doesn't trust them. So, he In this situation does not help at all. Exactly. So, the investigators, and we're going to talk about it, are going to be like, well, he didn't want to answer any questions and blah, blah, blah. Well... No shit, man. Exactly. Like, I fucking wouldn't want to. And and again, please let us implore. Get a lawyer if you're questioned ever. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you had nothing to do with it. I don't care if you had everything to do with it. I don't care. I don't care if you were just like a witness standing by or whatever. You just never know what they're going to pull. Yeah. You just don't know. Exactly. Because the goal of an interrogation is confession 100% of the time. When it becomes a, quote, interrogation for them, they are going for confession. And they go for it hard in this. So he should have a lawyer. And they, and I know that it happens. I get it. They brought him there under false pretenses. And then they immediately read him his rights. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, it just, all of those factors together, of course, he's not going to be trusting of this situation. no. And I don't blame him. And I wasn't trusting of watching it. I was like, get out of there, dude. Uh, Get out uh, of there. This is not okay. So anyway, let's get back to it. So Murray and Snell proceeded to question Nick in what appeared to be a pretty casual setting. So they asked about his relationship with Tandy, their living situation. They asked him if other men had ever expressed interest in Tandy because she was good looking. I didn't like that line of questioning either. I uh, no. And Snell said he'd heard of other men being interested in her while she was dating Nick. And Nick is like, I don't know anything about that. Like, yeah, like they were almost trying to be like, come on, man. Like you were, you were proud that like you had a good looking lady, right? Yes. Like you liked that other dudes it's were like into her. Locker right? room talk almost, mm-hmm. disguised good as an for interview. you. Yeah, I uh-huh. don't, I don't get it. Fuck off. She's a human being. Yeah, she's not a prize. Oh God, Aladdin. I am not a prize to be won. Amen. I know. Get it, Jasmine? Like, hello. So, Murray asked questions about Nick's daughter, Shauna Kay, and if she'd heard any rumors or anything about Garrett's Garrett's death. And at this point, Nick began to get a little annoyed. And he's like, look, I have been here. Well, he he was not confrontational. I will be completely honest with you. He was not. He was trying. You could tell that he was frustrated, but he wasn't getting rowdy about it. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't— Yeah. He wasn't getting angry and perturbed. He was just like, look— I don't mind answering questions, but I came down here for a reason. Y'all said you wanted me to look at this list. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen this list. Are no. we Are we going to do the, the whole thing with the list? Like, Yeah, and I'm supposed to be at work right now. Yeah, like, what are these questions pertaining to? Yeah. And okay. Snell is like, look, Nick, we just want to eliminate you as a suspect. And Nick is like, okay, so am I a suspect? And Snell is like, everyone is a suspect right now. And he was like, you can go if you want. You're free to leave. Mm-hmm. Free to leave anytime. Freeze bird. Free to leave anytime. They say this multiple times. So 
Murray continues questioning. Um, what time was your coaching practice on Monday? And Nick is like, no comment. Now, they are so annoyed that he says no comment because he's now he's resisting. He's not answering. Why are you not answering? Do you have something to hide? Why would you not? Why wouldn't you just cooperate? I feel like before this point, before he starts with the no comment, he has said, I feel like I need to have a lawyer here. Mm-hmm. Doesn't he say that at some point? 100% like, he says, should I? Or he asks if he should. Yes. And of course, I guess if you ask the question, police will get around it and be like, well, you didn't say you wanted a lawyer. You asked if you need a lawyer. And they'll usually come up with some shit like, well, I don't know. Did you do something? If you did something, you need a 100%. lawyer. 100%. Like, yes. It's so ridiculous. I just... Ugh. And for them to say, you can leave anytime you want to, but but Nick knows he can't. No, he, yeah, it's very clear that he cannot leave. Yes. And I cannot blame him. If I get annoyed like this, and I can't imagine being a person of color in this situation. Right. But I know from experiences where I'm trying to keep my cool, but I'm over it, I will just shut down. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a pretty common human trait. But again, the added awfulness of this is that he is a person of color being interrogated by police when they told him he, they just wanted him to come down and, you know, help help us out with this. Just take a look at this list. And Quick question. You'll be on your way. Yes. I mean, he ends up being here for like 12 hours or something. I know. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So investigators are practically arguing with Nick at this point. And they're like, why won't you answer the question? Like we said. And Nick is still saying, like, look, I'm here to look at a list. Like, where's the list? And Murray goes out of the office to get the quote unquote list. Which he never produces. No. So Snell said to Nick, quote, I know you've heard this before, but these are your Miranda warnings. What's a Miranda warning? But he added again that Nick was not under arrest, that he said he just had a, you know, had a question that's been confusing him for three days. And Nick picked up his cell phone and he's calling Tafari at that point. And he told them that they just read him his Miranda rights. So Murray and Snell continue to talk over each other, talking at Nick. And Nick told them that he was going to evoke his Sixth, Amend- Sixth Amendment right, um, which guarantees the accused to a speedy trial. Nick is still on the phone. We're we're not we're not sure with who, but maybe Tafari. While Snell is standing in front of him, and he's like, "Aren't you curious at all as to what Garrett said in his last moments?" And he told Nick that he's got some problems, and that this charade has gone on long enough. So now this is big fat turning into yes, you did it, yeah. an accusation and an interrogation. Yes, and he's trying to tell him now this is a total fabrication, which he can legally do because he's a police officer. But he's telling him. Garrett said something in the ambulance and trying to make him believe that he said, like, Nick did it or something. So he's basically like, you're caught. He said your name. Yeah. He's saying he's got the smoking Mm -hmm. gun here. I I know you did this. He doesn't bite. Uh -uh. Nope. Not even a little bit. So Murray said that he didn't think that Nick went in there with the intention to hurt Garrett. He told them, you know, you're not a bad person. You're a quality person. He's like, I have I have a lot of respect for you. I really do. And Snell reminded him that Garrett was only 12. Accidents happen. You know what they do in interrogations? Look, it. we know you didn't mean to. It was probably an and accident. if you just tell us what just happened, we can help us. you. We can help yes. you with that. Yes. If it was an accident, we can help. And 
Yeah, he was like, look, I, I already know what happened in that apartment. And Nick is like, well, if you knew, if you already know, then why mm-hmm. am I here? It, like, he's getting super frustrated and I don't Yeah, why am I him. not under arrest then if you know exactly what happened and you think it was me? Right. So he's like, can I leave? And he was like, I have to go to work. I can come back and talk to you guys later when I have more time. And he was, he kept repeating permission to leave, permission to leave, permission to leave. And Murray told him, go ahead with the investigation or the investigators continue to argue with him. So they're saying, you can leave anytime you want to, but they're still they're like, but answer the question. Like, yeah, they're just like, yeah, yeah you can exactly. leave, but we're continuing conversation. So like, it would be weird if you leave in the middle of sentences, but, but you can leave. Yeah. But so Nick stands up to walk out of the room, but the investigators physically block him from leaving the room. And he later said that at this point, he knew that his only way to leave was to physically move the officers. And he felt like they wanted him to do that because then they can get him for putting exactly. his hands on, you know, assaulting a police officer, what, whatever. So he didn't. He stood at the door of the room and he kept asking for permission to leave. And Snell told him that he was going to be held and that they could either do it the easy way or do it the hard way. Then he tells Nick to go ahead and call his attorney that they were going to go and get a search warrant to photograph his body. <sighs> Murray checked the clock and said, I've got a press conference at 10 o'clock. It's quarter till 10. Do I tell the press we're working on this as pending or do I tell them that we've got somebody in custody? Did, what did he, did he think Nick was going to be like, oh, f- you got a press conference? Okay. Well, I don't want you to have to do two press conferences. So go ahead and tell him, yeah, it was me. The, pre- the press conference yeah. deadline is really what's going to do it for me here. Mm-hmm. I don't really don't want you to get jammed mm-hmm. up with that press Because I don't want you to so. have to redo it. It's a whole thing. How are you going to get everybody there? So, yeah, let's go ahead and get my confession on the books now. Yeah, I mean, right? Like, for Murray to be like, look, I got shit to do today. <laughs> and I'm sure Nick is like, uh, same, bro. Like, I had shit to do yeah. today, too. But now I'm stuck doing this. Yeah. Like, ugh. So both officers left the room and another walks up to Nick and asked him for a cell phone and Nick asked him why. And he responded, quote, because we're going to end up taking it. So you're done with the phone calls. You talk to your lawyer. Everything's good. We need to take your phone. You've got to give it to me. I don't want to take it from you. Just give it to me. So, of course, Nick is like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do about this? So he hands his phone over because mm-hmm. everybody's acting like <laughs> this was not a you could either give it to us or you don't have yeah. to. But <laughs> They're acting like, well, look, it's your choice, man. You can either give it to me or I can snatch it from you. And I don't want to have to snatch it. So why don't you just give it? And then I'll arrest you for A, B, C, D, E. You know, then you'll have a long, long list of charges. Like, you don't have any choices here. So what? why are you even asking me? Like, Yeah, yeah. exactly. So his phone continues to ring. And Nick asked if he could answer it multiple times, saying, quote, allow me the opportunity, please. So Tafari is on his way to Potsdam. Nick had been able to contact a local lawyer as well. And now Murray has written a search warrant. At 3.46 p.m., a judge signed the warrant that allowed investigators to search Nick's body for, quote, abrasion, scrapes, scratches, bruises, or injuries that could implicate him in Remember, he got there at 8.30 in the morning. This is 3.46 p.m. when the judge signs the warrant. Has he eaten? Have they? Right. Yeah. Uh, So back in the office, Murray and Snell gave Nick the warrant and made him completely undress. Completely undress. Yeah. Now, we will discuss... um, Oh, my God. Why can't I think of his first name? Maines. Oh, Kenneth. Kenneth Maines. um, And his insight into this case. But he mentions... I don't know why they asked him to get 
down to his birthday mm-hmm. suit unless there was a sexual assault. Yeah, that they he's like, left. you don't. There is yeah, no there's reason. absolutely no reason for this. I feel like this was a. We're gonna stick it to him because he stole our friend's girlfriend. Yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely. If not like, motivated by race, but I think I think John Jones being you know one of their own and in their view, Nick stealing his girl from him. Like, I kind of feel yeah. like that was a little bit like, oh, well, we'll make him, we'll make him get totally naked and just humiliate him. Well, 100%. I mean, it's the, it's the same as a perp mm-hmm. walk. It's just, just, just used to embarrass the yeah, hell out of somebody. Because like, you know, if there are, And throw around their yes, power. If there had been a sexual assault, um, photographs or examination of genitals may be pertinent. That's not, the case here. The case, well, <laughs> but just oh wait. Gosh, yeah. So, okay. Uh-huh. So he was photographed in all stages and every part of his body, including his genitals, they were all, everything was photographed, right? They confiscated all of his clothing. They gave him a white hazmat suit to wear home. And Murray felt the search was a success. As You know, they found, what. okay, they did find an injury on Nick's ankle that they believed had come from jumping out of Garrett's window. On the outside of one of Nick's ankles was an approximately two millimeter sized abrasion. And Murray said that Nick had lied to him about not having an And he did. Injury. Nick lied about that. He we have seen did. so multiple times in this questioning, because Murray even says at one point, listen, man, I think bef- before the photographing and all that, obviously, because they haven't seen this injury, he says, listen, if you will just lift up your right pant leg, your right pant leg, and show me that you don't have an injury there, I'll be good to go. I'll be satisfied. You can walk out of here. If you'll just show me, if you'll just show me that side, I just want to see that you don't have an injury there. And Nick says, no, I don't have an injury. And I'm not showing you. I don't have any injuries there. I have no injuries there. He says that multiple times. I feel like I'm trying to be, not devil's advocate, I don't know. I see, I have feelings about Nick. Mm -hmm. I do. I also have feelings about the way the interrogation went. Oh, yeah. It was horrific. Yes. So just because I don't agree with the way he was interrogated and the things that they did to him um, for reasons unknown. You know, it could be because of John Jones. It could be because of his race. It could it could be all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe all of the above. I don't know. But um, just because I don't agree with that does not mean that I think that Nick is innocent. No. And and. If you watch any interviews with Nick, if you watch his deposition, if you watch anytime he talks to anybody, if you watch this documentary, he will sit there and look you in the fucking eye and say, because they'll ask, did you did you lie to them about an ankle injury? Did you tell them you didn't have one when you did? No, I didn't lie. I never <laughs> said that. But you can see the interrogation. I fucking see you saying that, sir. Yeah, <laughs> like, I do not have one. But he can, he can look you in the eye and tell you that never happened. Mm-hmm. And that is terrifying. Yeah. So, Nick, you know, he's busted, right? So, he, he's like, look, that was from moving furniture. But I, they, so they ask him, well, what? What, what were you moving? What were you moving? Yeah. And he was like, I don't know. I can't remember. Or he did, just didn't elaborate. He yeah. does not have any more answers. Because he just moved into his apartment a couple weeks before this. Again, like we said, this is all very, very fresh. So a couple, he says, you know, within the last couple weeks, he's been rearranging furniture in his new apartment because he just moved in, you know, moving stuff in and out, moving stuff around. Mm-hmm. And somehow he scraped the shit out of his it ankle. Was a, it was a pretty good size abrasion on that ankle. Mm-hmm but he doesn't remember which piece of furniture. <laughs> Interestingly enough, 
Yesterday, I'm making my bed. Make it every day. Sometimes twice a day because of dogs. But making it. And I back up and I hit my hip on my bedside table. And I was like, because it hurts so bad. And there's a bruise there. I didn't, I didn't even draw blood. Nothing happened. It's just bruised. Guess what though? I remember exactly where I got that bruise from. Mad at that table. I'm fucking pissed at that table. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting that you could, and some people, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying from personal experience, it just happened to me yesterday. I was like, oh my God, I know exactly where I got this. If you, if you break skin and I mean, and, and you can find a picture of this online, I'm sure. Or if you watch the documentary, you'll see it. But if you scrape it to the point that like, I mean, this is like, this abrasion is very similar to if the boys are running around in the driveway and I'm like, don't run on the driveway. You're going to trip and fall. Don't run on the driveway. You're going to trip and fall. And then they trip and fall and they scrape their knee all to shit. Mm-hmm. The end result is looks like a scrape on concrete or something like that. I mean, it has it has taken the top layer of skin off, if not a little bit more. Yeah. You would think you'd remember how that happened. Right. And Murray mentioned, he was like, look, I don't understand, you know, if if I've ever injured myself on a piece of furniture, I know exactly which piece of furniture that was. Yeah. And now that's take obviously, that for what it is, yeah, not know. always the case, but right. yeah. So during a later interview for a documentary on the case, Murray said that it didn't, they don't normally strip search people, but he wanted to document the injuries. Which he could have done without strip searching, but okay. No, he's got, mm -mm, listen though. So he said that other people were photographed nude as well. And the interviewer goes, who else was? And Murray said, well, Garrett Phillips was. I was like, my mouth flew open. You want to fucking come at me like that, bruh? Mm-hmm. Are you serious right now? Garrett Phillips was? You're referring to his autopsy, you son of a bitch? Yeah. That's the only other person that was photographed nude in this investigation? And you're saying the victim? It's fair because Garrett Phillips was too. (sighs) Fuck off with that. Now, again, not saying that Nick Hillary is innocent, but... None of this is okay. No, none of this is okay. This is none of police is okay. brutality almost. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, this is this is not okay. Absolutely. So, Nick Hillary was at the station for eight hours before he was allowed to leave. And they were he, like, just drop by real quick. Yeah. He wasn't arrested, though. They, they told him, we're not arresting you. But the judge signed another search warrant for his apartment, which was subsequently searched. And Murray and Snell noted something else during Nick's interview that struck them as suspicious. So Nick had smoked, I mean, they, they described him as chain-smoking cigarettes while yeah. he was there. Mm-hmm. But he kept each one of the butts. And he n- even put one down the drain in the bathroom. And they assumed this was done so they couldn't obtain Nick's DNA. So the big question was, where the hell was Nick during that hour that Garrett Phillips was suffocated and strangled to death? Girl. And that's the end of part one. We've been talking a long-ass time. We haven't even got to his... <sighs> His timeline. Mm-mm. This is a big case. It's such a big case. Oh, my God. It's infuriating to me. All of it is infuriating to me. Now, do you see why? I think I knew it was going to be long because we can't shut up about it to each other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. If we've, I mean, we could talk for eight hours on this case mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. But yeah, that's, uh, we're going to get into more of it and we're going to get madder than a wet hen next episode too but Mm -hmm. so all right if you are a patron and that is three dollar level or higher so for three dollars a month you can go ahead and have part two right this very second and it's ad free and it's ad free 
if you're not a patron, and look, if you've listened to part one, and you're not a patron, you're like, fuck it, I want to listen to it right now. Go join. It's fine. You'll get it right now and ad free. And if you are not in a position to become a patron, that ain't no thing. You can catch it uh, next week. Yeah, no big deal. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. And hopefully we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, we are uh, to the best part of the show. Yes. We have shout outs for our newest patrons. Um, So this is also the part of the show that we like to call. We're going to fuck your name up. So apologies for that in advance. Yeah. Yeah. But let's give a Hey Girl thanks to May Kennedy. Stacey Mays. E, do you Isla started off that Isla? Okay. Isla? Yes. Isla McRae? Oh no. I think Kira. Kira Burgess. Sorry guys if we're wrong. Oh we're so my sorry. goodness, we're out the gate bad. Jessica Berkey. Johnny Marshall. Cassidy Clawson. Christy Hull. Nicole Smith. Kristen Bell. Kristen Bowman. Annalisa D. Bernardo. Jessica Hill. Nikki Grammer. Rochelle Davis, Katherine Allistone, Amberly Jones, Maddie Hodge, Samantha Ethel, Tiffany, Jordan Falk, Chelsea Cassis, Hope Jones, Brianne Basum, Erin McCargue, Cami, Melanie Otis Rugby, Brett Witt, and Lily. Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you so much. And that was messy. Oh my gosh, it was messy. We are so sorry. We're sure, I mean, all of your names are beautiful and wonderful. And if we messed them up, we're so sorry. Yes. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening. And we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.